This is Generation Justice, a multimedia movement that trains youth to harness the power of media for social change. I'm Josh Horton. And I'm Polly Dinetclaw. There are an estimated 20 million refugees worldwide, and more than half are under the age of 18, according to the United Nations. During this world crisis, politicians and the media continue to perpetuate inaccurate and damaging narratives of people who have lost their homes and family members. Tonight, we share the stories of refugee families making a new start in New Mexico. We'll hear from two inspirational youth who have used the power of poetry to shed light on the refugee experience. We talked to Hanin Amer, a poet whose family came to New Mexico from Iraq in 2008. Also, Ludella Awad, a Syrian-American author and student who published two books on the human experience and her feelings on Syria, her family's home. Then we'll learn about the Center for Refugee Resettlement and Support when we speak to Diane Leal and Jim Gannon of Catholic Charities. So stay with us while we start with a little music. Here is Borders by MIA. Nina Mare came to the United States with her family after fleeing Iraq through Syria when she was 11. In 2015, at the age of 14, Hanin published a beautiful and moving poem called To the Sun. The poem is the story of Yasmin, a 15-year-old girl who recalls what life was like before her family was forced to leave their homeland for the United States. Hanin describes the fear and uncertainty that her own family endured before coming to the U.S. Here is Hanin reading her poem, To the Sun. To the sun, before, Yasemin, like the flower, white and innocent, beautiful, my name, yet not like me. The loud sounds of war follow me everywhere. My dreams become nightmares. My nightmares follow into my waking hours. Everything seems to blur together. What is real and what is not, they are all the same. After, I rock my home, no longer the beautiful country it used to be. The tall palm trees that were full with dates, sweeter than the richest chocolate. The smell of kebab and bamiya filling my house. The bittersweet taste of home, almost forgotten. But if I tried, I can taste it. What I do not miss, the power outages, the heat of a summer's day, being afraid for my family and myself, the shootings in the street, the startling sound of a bomb so close to home, danger keeping us inside, not even allowing us a small blessing of sunshine. And even when we could leave the house, what was to keep away the fear? Before, daughter of the devil, I do not understand why such a name was given to me. The girls run away from me like I am a curse. I ask my mother why. Now I understand. They are Muslim. I am Indian. To them, my religion is wrong. It is a disgrace. To them, I really am a daughter of the devil. My mother has to wear that awful hijab. She has to wear it even during the summer. I hate it, but I'm glad that I'm not old enough to have to wear it too. If I wear it, then they won't hurt us. They will leave us alone, even if we are undying, my mother explains. My parents whisper about it a lot. I sit by their door and listen, careful not to get caught. 
I can see the look of concern in my mother's eyes, the lines of worry making their way across my father's forehead. But they still smile like everything is okay. I know that it's not. I wonder how long it would take for them to tell my two sisters and I just how not okay everything really was. They think I am too young to understand, but I am old enough. I know that we are going to have to leave Iraq. I know that by doing so, we are going to have to leave everything and everyone behind. Goodbye. Chaos. It feels like everyone is in a rush. Busy, packing, what to take, what to leave behind, what to do, where to go, relatives, friends. They have all come to try and help. Do not take that. You will not need it. You must take that. Do not wear any jewelry. All words of advice on what we should do. People keep coming along with the advice. I realize that they are also here to say goodbye and good luck, for we are going into the unknown so far away from home. America. We are going to America, the country that had bombed us in the first place. Fleeing to the enemy. How ironic. My younger sisters laugh and cheer. We are going to America. We are going to America, they sing. I sigh. Better not ruin their fun. The day we finally leave. I don't know whether to feel nervous, anxious, happy, or sad. I don't know whether to cry, smile, or laugh. But I do know to act brave. By this time, my sisters are no longer singing or dancing. Their cheeks are streaked with tears, suddenly realizing what leaving home really means. Can we come back tomorrow, or in a week, or in a month? Sohira asks. My mother slowly shakes her head and looks away. Then the question starts to spin in my mind. Will we ever come back? Waiting. So much waiting. Four airplanes. We flew halfway around the world. The food on the planes tasted disgusting. Nothing like what I'm used to. We sleep during the day. Or it's at night. I cannot tell anymore. What day is it? How long have we been here? In the airports we stay and wait. 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 Chicago. My mother whispers in my ear. We are here. Only one more plane to go. Her soft words ring in my ear. Almost there. I breathe in the clean scent of the hotel room. I collapse on one of the beds. Relief washes over my body. So much more comfortable than an airplane seat. Presently. I do not know what state we are in now. Or maybe I just don't remember. What I do know is that this is where we'll be staying. Loud shuffling and voices echo in the airport. I do not know where to look, at all the bright colors, or at the people wearing the weirdest clothes. We are rushed forward by people, passing by, pushing, shoving, some even crying, greeting family members or friends. My mother talks to someone wearing a blue suit. He says something and then points towards an exit. Come on, she says, ushering us forward. I am lucky that Mama speaks English. I can't imagine what it would be like if she didn't. What would we have done? How would we know where to go? Inside out, backwards, and upside down. My life is being put into a blender. It is being shaken and flipped. Anything from my old life is being wrung out. Every drop of familiarity has now dried up, leaving me with all things new except my family. The state we are staying at is called New Mexico. It is supposed to be very hot here. To me, it is cold. We wear jackets outside even now, in July. Maybe I am too used to the burning climate of Iraq. Settling in is not working. 
I feel so frustrated for not knowing anything. It is all so confusing. Even grocery shopping doesn't make sense. How do you have just one store with food and clothes and toys? There is ice cream in multiple containers with so many flavors that you can take home and leave in the freezer for days. I didn't know that existed. Back home, you would just get an ice cream cone with one flavor you wanted to eat right away, never a container to keep and eat whenever. There is more, so much more. I can't take it all in. All the different things, foods, places, people. I want to gape at everything to make sure I'm not imagining things or dreaming. People here dress their dogs. They have blue hair along with all other colors. This is not a nightmare. This is not a dream. You are not dreaming. You are awake. I have to keep telling myself this. How will I ever get used to this? It feels like I am on an alien planet. Some people that I see seem like aliens. I laugh, thinking how alien I must seem to them. A bell rings, startling me. Kids rush and push me out of their way. They talk in loud voices, saying things that I cannot comprehend. They are wearing clothes of all colors. No uniforms, no restrictions, no hijabs. The girls are not afraid to show their thighs, wearing bright, sparkly skirts that right up their legs. I enter a room, hopefully the right one. The walls are covered with drawings, posters, pictures. The teacher smiles. This is what school is going to be like? This new world, this new life, these new people? It all seems so weird right now. I don't know how I can ever learn to accept this, how I will ever fit in. Mama says that we will be staying here for a long time. I will have to learn to make this my home, but it will never be the same again. Even if New Mexico will be my home, it won't be like it was before. I wonder when I will start to accept this, if ever. Home again. How quickly my sisters and I learned to speak English. Now my mother and father have to keep reminding us to speak Arabic in the house. What used to surprise me when we first got here, I no longer even noticed. I am still getting used to everything. But people can't tell that I am not American right away anymore. Now it takes a little longer for them to notice my small grammar mistakes when I talk, or my accent that is already fading. It still feels weird to walk into our new house and not see our old furniture. Sometimes I would wake up in the morning having forgotten where I am. Then I look around my room, get up, look out my window, and I remember. I'm not back in Iraq. I'm not surrounded by palm trees. I do not taste the sweet dates in the morning. I do not smell the fresh hobbies baking in the oven. But I am home, where there is a lot of dirt, but plants and trees too. No palm trees, but your cousin's dead. Not dates, but sweet, sticky syrup with pancakes. Change. Home has a new meaning. When I imagine home, I no longer see Iraq. Now, I see New Mexico. To the Sun is a beautiful poem, Hanin. I love the way you accepted change and embraced the differences between Iraq and America. Poetry is always so personal, and I appreciate you, Hanin, for sharing your poem with us. Now, here's Generation Justice youth producer Jordan Unverzat speaking with Hanin. I'm Jordan Unverzat. I'm a youth producer at Generation Justice, and I'm here today with Hanin Amir. Can you please tell me more about yourself? I'm Hanin, and I am 14 years old, and I've been living in the U.S. for about seven years now, and I really, really love it. I've met some amazing people here. 
and I just I love to write I love to read um, I, I kind of like art in general and language art and in Arabic I would say Tell me more about your writing was this the first poem you've written? Actually, no. I've been writing for as long as I can remember learning how to write and read. And this was actually one of my latest poems that I've written. But I've been writing, I think I kept a diary when we first got here. I used to write in Arabic, except now my writing has transitioned into English just because I'm more open to it, I guess. It's on TV, radio, music, books are in English. So I kind of, I started thinking in English and writing in English more. And I just really enjoy to write. Awesome. I used to write poems when I was your age as well, and I continue to journal, and it's a good way to kind of challenge ideas or find out things about yourself or just kind of release feelings. I use it a lot just to get to know myself. Sometimes when ideas don't make sense to me, I write them down. That way I can just look at it from a different perspective, if that makes any sense. Totally. I agree 100%. (laughs) What was it like getting such amazing feedback for your poem? I can't even explain it. It just kind of felt like, wow, people listened and they liked it. And that kind of gave me a feeling of empowerment that I can get to people, that I can use my voice for more than just inspiration. If one, to make people feel like they're understood, their situations are not, they're not alone in what's going on with them. And that's kind of what I want to give them the feeling of, that I'm a person here and I'm a refugee and I've had the same experiences they've had. Also to inspire people to start writing because it's a way to connect with others. So I've met a lot of people and had different experiences just through my poem and getting it published. It's been really amazing. Yeah, your voice is incredibly powerful and you have such a a beautiful way of observing and describing things. I really liked the line in your poem, people here dress their dogs. I think it's funny, but it also really speaks to the ridiculousness of American consumerism. Um, How have you started to form your identity in America? Well, I think a lot of that has to do with my friends, and I've been trying to make myself based on things that they they teach me and they show me, but then also mixing it with my original culture from Iraq. It's an interesting mix. Like sometimes people they won't notice that I'm not from here, and then I'll do something and they're like, "Wait, what are you doing?" And I would just explain that this is how we do it in Iraq, or like um, different foods that I'll eat they they've never even heard of. So I've been kind of building myself based on things that I like um, that I see Americans do, and what I've already have. It's an interesting mixture. What challenges have you faced and continue to face as you adjust to American life? American life in general. Sometimes it, sometimes the way they say things or the way they joke, the way they act with each other. Even now with my friends, sometimes they'll talk a certain way or they say something and I take it too seriously. Or I'd look at it a completely different way from what they meant. Also fitting in just because not trying to mold myself like them, but being able to understand them and them being able to understand me. It's been a challenge just to kind of try and understand what they mean sometimes. Or there are lots of things that I don't know about the American culture. Like a bunch of people have seen Indiana Jones and I've never even seen that. Or I'll be talking about like Star Wars. I I don't know what that is. And they're always surprised to that. Sometimes I'm new to things and I still am. That's been the hardest so far. And it still is.
I haven't seen Star Wars either, and I still get made fun of for it, so don't worry. <laughs> that makes me feel better. <laughs> what do you miss most about Baghdad? I would say everything, I guess, except all the heat and being really restricted, I guess. But I still feel like I had an amazing childhood. I remember going a lot to my grandparents' house, and the house is there. I just, that's my favorite memory, remembering what the houses used to be like and different smells. I know that's weird, but sometimes I'll smell something here, and it's really familiar, and that kind of takes me back to, like, my grandparents' house or our old house and our backyard. And at my grandparents' house, I used to stay a lot with my aunt, who was, like, my best friend, second to mom, of course. I remember she had her bed right next to a window, and the window was really big, and she had plants around it. And I used to sit on the bed and just look out the window and kind of make up stories about the people that I see. I remember going around the house and just looking and exploring at things, and I used to think it was really, really big. And I just wish I could see everything one more time now to see if everything really was the way I thought it was before. Do you plan on going back I don't think so. Right now, not in these conditions. Even if I go, I don't think I'll, I'll be able to see the house because I don't know if it's the same anymore. So I would hope to, but I don't think it's possible. Yeah. Is there anything you want Americans who may have never traveled to the Middle East to know about Iraq? Everything is different. And People here, yeah, they they wear clothes, and then people in Iraq wear clothes too. It's just completely different, different styles, different music, and a different way of just interacting with each other. And I'll say that <laughs> most Iraqis that I've met have really bad tempers, so be careful with what you say and what you mean. But then we'll also joke around, and we're really social people. We like to have family around all the time, and we're just really close in that sense. So yeah, and it's an amazing country, or at least I know it used to be. It just it blew my mind sometimes when I would see an old picture of what Iraq looks like, just because I don't remember anything about the outside except the houses that I used to live in. And um, sometimes the way people dressed, even it seems strange to me now, just because I don't remember it as much. So yeah, just keep in mind that everything is different. Do you still write? Yeah, I don't keep a diary, but I'll just, I'll write poems, or sometimes if I see a movie, it gives me an idea, and then I'll be listening to music, and that kind of gives me an idea too, so I'll build something up. It's like that. Sometimes I'll write about something that frustrates me, or if I read a book and it really interests me, I'll take the way that I understand it and make a thought out of that and write it down. Or like I said before, I'll write down an idea to understand it better. And sometimes I'll just write down, like, parts of my life so that I can look back and see what it was before because I'm always interested in what my mom's life used to be like. And I want to make sure that I know that I have a way to remember what my life used to be like maybe 20 years from now. When I was mad at my parents, I'd write down, like, parenting tips to my future <laughs> self. Don't do this. Don't do that. <laughs> what sort of role does music play in your life? I know you play the viola. Music not only inspires me, but I love to make music just because it gives me a completely different feeling from writing or listening to music. And I just feel like everything is better with music. It just gives me a whole new spirit sometimes, even taking a test and listening to music. I can do that. Going bowling, listening to music, it just kind of pumps me up. I love it so much. 
and playing the viola has just made me more experienced with that. I got to know it from a different angle. And usually I'll tell my mom at concerts that you get to listen to it from the outside, but I'm inside the music. I am making the music. And it just, it's completely different when you're making it versus when you're listening to it. I think it's amazing to be able to do that. Is there anything else you want to add? You'd be surprised at things that you're able to accomplish if you try. And I know you've probably heard that a lot, but I never thought to try and write a book and get it published, but I have thought about writing. And so if you're really into something, then try to make something out of that, especially if you're good. Then there's always a chance that you'll be able to make it more than it is. If you like writing music, then start composing and then show somebody and then it can be something amazing. So yeah, have courage. I just think you're such an amazing human being and so talented. And I'm happy that you're continuing to write. And I hope that you continue to share what you write. I look forward to reading future poems. And I feel really privileged to be able to speak with you today and hear you recite your own poem. So thank you. Well, thank you so much. Just hearing that makes me feel amazing, too. <laughs> thank you, Anine, for taking the time to share with us your poem and your story. Your optimism is inspiring, and we greatly appreciate you. Let's get back into some music. Here's Generations Will Rise by Natalie Rise and Notice, featuring Kabaka Pyramid. You're listening to Generation Justice, and tonight we're sharing the stories of the refugee experience. Ludella Wad is a Syrian-American poet and student of the Albuquerque School of Excellence. Ludella has published two books of poetry, Behind the Covers and Sad Piano Music in Syria. Now here is Tamara Kalaki speaking with Ludella about her writing and her feelings on the Syrian refugee crisis. Hello, my name is Tamara Kalaki, third-year fellow for Generation Justice, and I'm here with Ludella Awad. Ludella Awad is a 16-year-old Syrian-American high school senior attending Albuquerque School of Excellence. Welcome to Generation Justice, Ludella. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Can you please introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Ludella Awad. I'm 16 years old, and I'm born here, but my family are from Syria. I published two books called Sad Piano Music in Syria and Behind the Covers, Sad Piano Music in Syria talks about the refugees in Syria and the humanity and the women who are experiencing suffering every day and even the children that don't get education. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> You're a published author of those two books. Can you tell us a little bit more about mm -hmm. each book? Uh, for my first book, I had a collection of poems um, and I showed them to my English teacher and I was like, I'm really interested in becoming a, a published author. And then we went from there. And I would always write in school, carrying my journal around, like, every day. Behind the Covers was published in April 2015. I had four book signings and a television interview with KRQE TV. And I also met Jimmy, Jimmy Santiago Baca, national known poet. How exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. And um, would you please read us some of your poems? My poem is The Boat, Refugees from Syria. This is talking about the refugees and the refugee crisis. 
Thousands of people from Syria are crying, becoming refugees, running away, crossing the vast ocean with thousands of people on the death boats, drowning, tasting the salty, bitter seawater. People on boats look in fear at the deep water, sharing their sad stories with other people of how their houses are gone. People are crying, deciding to run away, sad about how they left their memories behind in homes. Sometimes they never make their way to get to the, what they want. They drown and their bodies sink into the ocean. Innocent little babies washed away in the water are lost forever in the deep, vast ocean. People are floating away on plastic boats which burst in the middle of nowhere, looking around in the sky, dying. Dying their choice of death, they look down in the water in fear. Everything is dark. There is no color. They're running away into the deep ocean. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and this poem is called Screams of Children in Syria. Sad piano music playing. One year passes, two years pass, and three years. Four years have passed, the children in pain telling their stories, painful stories about Syria. The children miss their moms and dads, their families. They remember how they sat and laughed for hours with their families, with toys in their houses. How they Now they're telling their stories with grief. Futures are wiped out for the children of Syria. With no schools or education, so young, so damaged, children playing with dirt, sticks, stones, and rocks on the streets remember how they used to play. A child looks around, seeing their teddy bear torn apart, picks it up, tries to sew it back together. The children are innocent. What have they done? Children are looking for food and water, but they find nothing. Babies are found on the bloody ground. Mothers are crying in pain. Children are sleeping on rocks, harsh grounds, and tents. Children try to find their way to get their education, not minding if they sit on the floors in demolished schools just to get their education. Children are kissing their old photos. The saddest thing in the world is when a young child tells a hurtful story in their eyes, sad, smiles are ripped off, freedom is destroyed. Children's eyes speak with pain and tears. I pray for the days when Syria wakes up with the sound of birds, not bombs. Stop killing Syria. Syria is already down. The innocent people and children... Stop the crime against humanity. Thank you so much for that, Ludella. I really appreciate that, and I'm grateful to be a part of it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Can you briefly explain what is happening in Syria and about the refugee crisis? Okay, so there's hundreds of thousands of Syrians have died in the civil war, which began in 2011. And now there's millions of Syrian of refugees who've left the country to escape tyranny. And I wanted to write about the war and the refugees and the innocent children and the cities in Syria that have been destroyed. I want the people to feel compassion for the Syrian people and their suffering. Thank you for that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> very important. Why do you choose to focus your work around the Syrian civil war and the refugee crisis? I think it's very important to feel for humanity and the crisis which affects the whole world. So we're here, we're eating lunch, we're eating dinner, but others in the world, they don't, they don't have the same thing. They're starving, women are being tortured, children don't have education. And I always try to tell my classmates, like, you know, we're here, we're studying. We should feel for the people 
that don't get education. I agree. I think that's a big awareness for all of us mm -hmm. to have because that's something we all deserve. Yeah, it's something that we should always feel like for humanity and we should just feel about those people. I mean, we're here and we're thankful and then other people, they're torn apart. What do you hope your readers will walk away with? I'm hoping the readers will feel for the women, feel for children. We should just feel for those people and pray for those people that are torn apart. Definitely. Thank you. Ludella, is there anything else you would like to add? Yeah, um, we just launched an audiobook um, for my sad piano music in Syria. I do YouTube videos too about like refugees and um, Syria and all that. And I also um, have a Spanish version of sad piano music in Syria. And I'm also on Amazon. I do book signings. And if you guys are interested, please check them out. Thank you, Ladella Awad, for coming to Generation Justice and talking to us about your work and about what's happening in Syria. I really appreciate your perspective. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you. <laughs> for Generation Justice, this is Tamara Kalaki. I love that Ludella advocates compassion for the Syrian people and is trying to give a voice to people who aren't heard. A lot of the times when we talk about the Syrian refugee crisis, what gets lost is the stories of the innocent families, mothers, fathers, children who are suffering. So thank you, Ludella, for continuing to put families at the forefront of your work. Ludella chose this next song for its beautiful Arabic sound. Here is Sad Emotional Arabic Rap Beat by The Madness Production. The idea of being forced to leave behind people you love and everything you own for fear of persecution or even death sounds like a nightmare. But for the millions of refugees and forcibly displaced people in the world, that nightmare is a reality. That is why Catholic Charity Center for Refugee Resettlement and Support worked to prepare refugee families from around the world for the daunting task of starting over. Over the past 16 years, the center has resettled more than 2,000 refugees who have fled from countries because of dangers like war, genocide, and religious persecution. Here is Kateri Zuni speaking with Jim Gannon and Diane Leal of Catholic Charities. I'm Kateri Zuni with Generation Justice, and I am speaking with Diane Leal and Jim Gannon. Welcome to Generation Justice. Will the both of you please introduce yourself? Thank you. Yes, my name is Diana Leal. I'm a case manager with the Refugee Resettlement Program with Catholic Charities. Jim Gannon, and I'm the CEO of Catholic Charities. Wonderful. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's our pleasure to be on. Thank you for having us. Tell me about the Center for Refugee Resettlement and Support. The center originally dates back to 1961 when the Castro regime closed down Cuba to the United States. What they did was shipped out a lot of children. The government asked the Catholic Church and others to step forward and help take those in. So Catholic Charities here in Albuquerque started in 1961 welcoming those children. And from then that 
we've had a tradition for the last 55 years of resettling folks from around the world in different conflicts. Syrian refugees are the most recent that you hear most about in the news, as well as folks from Southeast Asia, Vietnam, following the Vietnam War, throughout Africa, Burundis, folks from Nepal. So we've helped probably at least 30 to 40 different nationalities over the years being resettled here in Albuquerque, I would say. And what kind of services do you provide at the center? The services that we provide when the clients arrive, uh, we are responsible for meeting and greeting them at the airport. After that, we provide them with a hot meal. It's like a welcome. After being on the airplane for so many hours and actually having to transfer from plane to plane, I mean, it's nice for them to come, get a hot meal, and after that, just go rest. Normally, uh, what we want to have the apartment ready so when they arrive, they can just move in, already have their furniture set up, you know, have food in the cupboards, food in the refrigerator, and that way they can just be basically like welcome home. So that's the first thing that we do. After that, we start, you know, coordinating with other agencies in the community to start providing the services. Very basic services, but they're services that they do need um, to get established here and start their new life. First off, what we do is we take them basically to apply for public benefits like Medicaid, food stamps, uh, refugee cash, or TANF. And those programs are just to help them get a start just because when they come here, you know, there's no job, they have no vehicle, a lot of people come and they don't know anyone here, they don't even have family. After that, we also help them apply for the Social Security card for their employment authorization documents, and that's so they can start working as soon as they receive those documents. We also offer English classes everywhere from basic, intermediate to advanced just because we do get clients who some of them actually already know English and of course we have clients who don't know you know the language at all so that way we can just fill in the needs of the clients as they come also we offer employment services we're not able to place people into jobs but we do help them create resumes also explain you know what is a resume Job searching here in the U.S. is definitely different than in other countries, so also showing them how it, how you go about looking for work here, showing them also their rights. As a refugee, you have legal status in this country. With these documents, you are able to work, because there's also a lack of information out there to where some employers don't know. Also, we help them to do the resume, job search, applications online or you know, paper applications, and just a lot of the basic services to help them establish here in the U.S., It's a a steep hill for the folks to climb and to become familiar with our culture, the specifics of Albuquerque, the United States. And it's a daunting task for the actual individuals and families after arrival. It's not very easy. So we do need a lot of cooperation and support from the community. Albuquerque itself is a very welcoming community, Mm -hmm. which is good. We do see the desire to do that. Sometimes it's hard finding the right resources, as Diane can tell you. And, I mean, I'd like to talk more about that. Can you just kind of describe for us what it can be like those first few months for a family basically just starting over? It is challenging, definitely. I mean, first off, getting used to a whole new way of life, a whole new climate, even. Everywhere from that to just understanding the culture, there's a lot of legalities involved. Some of the challenges they come across is, for example, housing. That's a little bit of a difficult 
thing to do just because when people arrive here, of course, they have no history of employment. They have no history of living here in the U.S., but a lot of the properties, there is their policy to do an application where you have a history of employment, a history of, of living here in the past, having a social security number, very basic things that normally I guess we wouldn't think about if I were to go rent an apartment, but when you go you know, with a person who's never been here and who is waiting for their legal documents to do that, that's a little bit of an obstacle, you know, and just basically teaching the community, educating the community of what a refugee is and what documents they come with. And you can actually, you know, process an application with no issue. There's no history of criminality here or any kind of background here, especially since they go through very thorough and um, intensive screening before they even get to the U.S. So it's just educating the community of who refugees are, the challenges that we have to deal with, and hopefully the community is willing to work with us and be flexible and understanding. And I think that is important, not only educating those who are coming to New Mexico, but also New Mexicans on how we can be more welcoming. And Yes. Definitely. So thank you. So what would you say that the goal is for the center? I would say the goal is to have the clients be self-sufficient before the case closes. At least that's how I see my goal. And most of the time that is getting employment. I think getting a job is really important, especially to the client themselves. As soon as they come in and I get to interview them, uh, right away that's the question, when can I work? Where can I find a job? When am I getting my work permit so I can start working? They are very motivated to work and make a good life here, which is really, really nice to see as well. I think that's really it. What we hope to do is help someone become integrated and comfortable in our community so they're part of our community. The job is done when they no longer view themselves as a stranger within our community, but a productive participant in the local economy, in the local culture, and the diversity that makes Albuquerque so strong that they're contributing to that. So really that's kind of the end goal. What do you want people to understand about the families that are going through resettlement? I would start out with saying these folks weren't choosing to move. There's a genuine fear for their life based on civil uprising and distress, war, genocide, religious persecution that can include up to death if they try to practice their religion. So they're genuinely fearing and picking up and being forced out of their home and sent on a thing that would take a minimum of months, but really in reality years to get to the United States, being displaced, not necessarily welcomed in the temporary home that they might find themselves in outside of their home country, going through a long, tedious process of applying for and being accepted to come to the United States. And they haven't ever really thought about migrating. This decision was made for them by other people through persecution and through violence. These folks come traumatized. Often they're separated from their families, not knowing what has happened to family members, and sometimes villainized You know, in the popular debate that's going on across the country right now unjustly. These are folks who are coming to us and they're in a general condition of hurting. And that's something I would think I would really want people to understand. Yeah, I, I appreciate that you mentioned that because I think that, especially in politics and with a lot of national media, there's a certain narrative that's recycled, which is obviously inaccurate. And I think it's important to keep in mind that it's a very traumatic experience. 
Yeah, and you know, for example, just recently we had a client that had arrived and just kind of gave us an experience of how he felt in Albuquerque. Prior to this, he was in another country as a refugee. So he was fine, he was safe, but he did notice the difference in treatment. He said, well, I got here to Albuquerque and I didn't have people coming up to me asking me, hey, are you from this religion? People would right away assume in, in the other country that I was in that I was of a certain religion and they would come up to me and ask me. Here, he goes, I can just walk around. I don't get bothered by anyone. And I was like, oh, that's really nice mm -hmm. to hear that. And to him, that's, that was important. That's something that he, that he noticed. <laughs> How can people get involved with the center or Catholic Charities if they'd like to? Yeah, so volunteering is definitely one. Another I know that we do, we work with interns, and it's with UNM, Highlands, Western New Mexico University. We have had interns from other states, too. So definitely interning is a very good way. Volunteering is another one, just depending on what you would prefer. Yeah, volunteering, calling Catholic Charities, 724 4670 just ask for Kathy Aragon Marquez, who's our volunteer coordinator, and tell them to interest in volunteering, and she can take you through that process. We do some background checks and other things. It's not just come down and start working with individuals, but we would certainly welcome that. In-kind donations of gently used furniture is very important because we're furnishing apartments and homes for the, the folks we're resettling, and they come with nothing, a small carry-on bag is about all their possessions that they get to bring with them in the process, and very often sometimes just the clothes on their back. Mm -hmm. They certainly need everything. So those are some of the areas where people can get involved and help. Tutoring as volunteers, English language learning is essential for folks to be able to get employment. Transportation, helping folks get to some of the appointments. They don't have driver's licenses when they come. They don't have vehicles. But learning how to use the bus system, something that they may have never been exposed to in their country as well. So there's just avenues of opportunities to do that, and we'd certainly be willing to talk to anybody who's interested in doing that. Catholic Charities doesn't care about your religion or who you are. We have a diversity of employees working for us of various backgrounds, including some of the folks we've resettled in the past. So you can pretty much find almost every religion that you can think of under the sun among our employees. So there's no restrictions. Anyone who's interested in being a person of goodwill and extend a helping and welcoming hand to somebody, I would encourage them to call and follow up on that. Is there anything else that either of you would like to share? Just I uh, wanted to thank you for this opportunity, actually, because I think this helps to get the word out more about the program that is here and just the reality of how things are. And I think it's just very important to get that out to the community, again, going back to educating the community about refugees. And we really, really do appreciate the cooperation and assistance we get from so many in our community and in our state. I mean, really, I can't underline that enough that folks here in Albuquerque tend to be very welcoming and reaching out to try to find out the real facts and get away from maybe the noise that's being yelled back and forth on the national media and inaccuracies. And I invite folks, if they're, they have concerns about those, to give me a call at Catholic Charities. I'm more than willing to talk to folks about that. Well, thank you both for taking the time to come and speak with us, and I definitely appreciate the work that you do in our community. Thank you. Thank you. And any time we can be of assistance, please call on us. For Generation Justice, I'm Kateri Zuni. Refugees deserve compassion and empathy, which a lot of the time they do not receive. 
I think the work Catholic Charities does, helping refugees sustain themselves and integrate within the community, is crucial to healing the pain and hurt refugees endure. Refugees are always so dehumanized in U.S. politics and media. These resilient people who have survived the most brutal and horrific conditions are asking for help. And all U.S. politicians and the mainstream media bring up is the money or the safety of our country without seeing the faces and stories of refugees just trying to survive. Thank you, Jim and Diane, for the work that you do. Now, let's get back to the music. Here is One Love by Bob Marley. One Love Before we end the show tonight, we'd like to announce an event you will not want to miss. That's right, Polly. The 29th Annual Festival Flamenco Internacional de Albuquerque will be held June 11th through the 18th. Festival Flamenco is a week-long celebration bursting with music, dance, learning, and more. Each year, the National Institute of Flamenco and the University of New Mexico bring the finest flamenco artists to Albuquerque for this dazzling celebration of flamenco culture. There will be daily performances leading up to Fiesta Flamenco on June 17th and 18th. The festival also includes workshops and a kids' flamenco camp open to festival participants. For more information on this wonderful event, please call 505-242-7600 or visit nationalinstituteofflamenco.org. We have reached the end of tonight's program. We'd like to send a big thank you to Anin Amer and Ludella Awad for sharing your beautiful words and stories. And thank you to Diane Leal and Jim Gannon of Catholic Charities for informing us on the great work you do for New Mexico's refugee families. This show was produced by Kateri Zuni and Tamara Kalaki, with production assistance from George Luna Pena, Polly Denekla, and Roberta Real. Stay connected with us. Check out our website, generationjustice.org, where you can listen to all of our past radio programs, see music playlists, read our blogs, watch videos, and so much more. Our podcasts are available on iTunes, so be sure to subscribe. We're also active on social media, so be sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and Instagram. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, with additional funding from the McCune Foundation, Konama Health Foundation, and of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking donate. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word, so stay tuned. I'm Polly Dineclaw. And I'm Josh Horton. Join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock. Have a blessed week, fam.